This Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. in our Power Skills series is Dr. Corinna DeBrain. Corinna is the Managing Director of JVR Academy, a company that specializes in customized solutions to develop critical workplace power skills. As a registered counseling psychologist, Corinna has a passion for people development and has more than 25 years of experience in education, higher education, and corporate learning and development. We've seen that globally there has been a dramatic increase in the demand for higher cognitive as well as social and emotional skills. These skills have historically been branded soft skills, but because they are so crucial to the survival and growth of a business, JVR refers to them as power skills. Some examples of these power skills include advanced communication, negotiation, empathy, adaptability, and resilience. We are looking forward to the series in which we will go into in-depth discussion around what it takes to actually develop these skills and the learning imperative that surrounds these. Welcome, Dr. Corinna. Thank you so much, Karen. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you today. Fantastic. Let's jump into it. So, okay, tell me about what are these power skills that you refer to? Um, Karen, I think if we talk about skills, maybe if we just go one step back. I think um, everyone or most people have a good understanding of what, when we talk about hard skills versus soft skills. So in previous years, um, hard skills would refer to things like um, all the, the technical competencies or all the functional competencies of a job. For example, if, if I'm a psychologist, one of the technical things that I need to be able to do is I need to be able to write reports. Reports, I need to be able to do counseling, I need to be able to do um, psychometric assessments, for example. In, in the engineering world or the architectural world, it's even more tangible. You know, you need to be able to design a bridge and you need to be able to build the bridge and you need to be able to evaluate as to whether the quality of this bridge is good enough. So those were typically the hard skills or the technical skills. And then we had the soft skills. Now, very often people sort of frowned upon soft skills and said, you know, that's not really important. But um, it was interesting that um, if you go and read about just person's work, he actually said, you know, maybe hard skills are the soft skills because they change all the time and they are constantly being obsoleted and they are relatively easy to learn. Whereas the soft skills are actually the hard skills and they are more difficult to build and more critical. And then he actually said, why don't we use power skills for soft skills? Because soft skills sound so soft and so unimportant. And actually it's the, the idea that we, the, the whole idea of power skills resonated very well with what we at JVR Academy do, because we believe that the soft skills, which are actually more behavioral skills, that they are extremely important in the world of work. And as psychologists, we have the privilege of working with these soft skills and the behavioral skills, which 
are the, the ones that we actually call power skills now. If you want one or two examples, you know, if, if we just look at the literature as well that comes out these days is things like emotional intelligence, emotional well-being, communication. So there's a whole lot of those skills that are behavioral and also powerful skills. So therefore power skills. Absolutely. And I think one of the, the newest ones to kind of be picked up from a, a buzzword perspective is emotional labor, which is also a very, you know, learning to manage that or the mental load, which is also becoming quite prevalent in, in conversations around gender and equality, etc. It's becoming quite important or increasingly important that we're able to recognize these, almost name that, so that we can we can put strategies in place to to increase our capacity in those areas. Absolutely. And as you were speaking now, you know, it has been quite a shift. I remember the kind of dissonance in, in industry or in organizations between those that were qualified to do a, a particular role or those that were promoted to leadership based on performance in relation to a set of hard skills. But essentially, we're sitting with a group of leaders that may be a little bit lacking when it comes to soft skills. So they're not good people leaders. And essentially we're seeing this coming to the fore more and more that we've got to get better at dealing with people as more and more automation gets put in place and kind of releases us from those mundane tasks or those hard tasks that we've spent generations kind of learning and mastering. But industry seems to have done a really interesting 180 on its stance of uh, power skills as you've uh, referred to them. Why are they now starting to wake up to these being so crucial to their survival? And in fact, in, in at JVR, you refer to these skills as being so important that they can dictate an organization's survival. But why the shift all of a sudden? What's changed in the world? Karen, over the last few years, think about the new world of work or the so-called new world of work, how it has changed. And you, you have alluded to now the, the, uh, the idea of automation and taking over all these mundane, repetitive kind of, of jobs. So um, really over the last few years, the, the future world, workplace skills and the new world of work had been associated with the fourth industrial revolution. But if you go and look at, um, I love the World Economic Forum and the Harvest Business Review and Deloitte and McKinsey um, reports, because they actually summarize all these insights and trends and challenges so beautifully. You, you already in those um, publications, you pick up that the world of work had been influenced by the fourth industrial revolution. Of course, now with COVID-19, it has fast-tracked all these fundamental changes that have been caused by the, the fourth industrial revolution. And more and more organizations and individuals realize that they need to future-proof themselves to cope effectively with these changes and the challenges that this new world of work sh shows. Reports have shown that um, technology, for example, reduces the need for workers to um, complete those routine manual tasks, and then they will have more time to focus on people and being able to solve more strategic problems and think more creatively. So there's time freed up um, where people actually have to have available for more important things, and that's where the, the people focus come in. Another interesting study that I read, and that was already in 2019, and um, that it was published by PwC, they, they've done a CEO survey, and 79% of CEOs worldwide has shown a concern that there's a lack of essential skills in their workforce. 
and that is actually threatening the future growth of their organization. And some of these essential skills have also been highlighted by McKinsey, for example, where they say it's um, the higher cognitive skills, for example, advanced literacy and writing, quantitative and statistical skills, you know, these days with big data and all of that. They also mention creativity, critical thinking, complex information processing. So those are all higher cognitive skills. But then they also mentioned that social and emotional skills, for example, negotiation, advanced communication, an openness to learn continuously and to manage yourself and to lead yourself and others and to be adaptable. And empathy, emotional intelligence, they highlight all those social and emotional skills as well. So if you just look at the literature, on the one hand, you actually pick, I, I can give you lots and lots of examples of publications where they highlight these social and emotional skills and also the higher cognitive skills. But on a practical level, we in, in JVR Academy, more and more, we get requests for management and leadership programs. And the buzzword, which is wonderful, it's music to, to JVR Academy's ears, is empathy. So leading with empathy, and that is absolutely a, a power skill. It's part of the social and emotional range or emotional skills range. Yeah, so on a practical level, in theory, in research, more and more we see that. And we really think it's because, you know, people are scared that computers might take over their, their jobs, but there's certain things that computers just can't do. I'm talking a lot now, Karen, so stop me if absolutely. it's too much. <laughs> no, I, I actually just wanted to jump in on that because it's it's really, I think, when I when I look at that and when I read the things around, you know, we've got to step into a workplace in which more from more cognitively or higher order thinking skills will be demanded of people, higher levels of of self awareness, higher levels of emotional intelligence, in the way that we interact uh, with each other, we're seeing just the struggles we're having, you know, going into a hybrid workforce, just collaborating over digital tools, etc. We don't have those base skills properly in place yet, or at least not at the same level, to function well within organizations, which is creating a, a massive rub. My question is really, these power skills and, and also the higher order thinking skills that we're needing to develop, how difficult are they to actually develop? Because a lot of, I think previously we assumed that it was part of nature, not nurture. Now we're shifting that focus to these skills that can be nurtured. How difficult are they actually to develop? Is everyone gonna be able to kind of master or move into these, these levels as automation starts creating more and more displacement? And then is there one skill in particular that may be harder to master? I think like with everything in life, some things come more naturally some people than to others, or it's more easy to learn a, a, a specific skill for some people because skills and personality and values and interests and all those things are so intertwined. If, for example, you have a natural ability to work with people, if it's part of your personality, 
it's part of your values, it's part of other personal characteristics, then of course we assume that it, it will be a little bit easier for you to brush up your skills, this, you know, empathy and communication, those things, if you don't have those skills already. For some people who maybe have a different personality type, it might be a little bit more different or a different interest or a diff different set of values. So yes, I don't think it's equally easy for everyone to develop all these skills, but these skills, you know, we wouldn't have have a job at Javier Academy if we didn't believe that that these power skills could be developed. I think one of the most important things is to have a learner or an employee that has the right mindset, that has a growth mindset, that has an attitude, that has a drive, that has an insight as to the importance of why do I need to develop this skill. And also, um, they need to see the relevance of the skill. Um, and all of that will actually be motivate them, get them more engaged in the process. So yes, we learn these skills. Ones that are, are more uh, difficult than others, you know, I, I guess I have to go and think a little bit more about those. But like I say, it differs from individual to individual as well, depending on your, your natural makeup or your natural personality values and other characteristics. I think what is very important is the whole idea of awareness. So at least if you realize in a situation that you need to develop a specific skill, let's say, for example, creativity. And people very often think that creativity is, you know, being able to draw beautiful pictures, but that's not what it is. So that's not only what it is. Um, so if people realize I need to develop my creativity in this situation in order to for my work better, then at least they know that, you know, I, I, I need to be able to do something about it. And I Absolutely. I can find a way to, to do that. And that brings me to my next question. So how does one actually know if you need further development in these skills? So we, we know that self-rating often shows that we are very forgiving towards ourselves and we tend to overestimate our abilities. So where do we begin or how do we evaluate our proficiency in these skills? Mm -hmm. oh, it's, it's interesting that you say that we are very often forgiving of ourselves, but Karen, when we work with psychometric assessments, we very often see that people are very honest and sometimes very self-critical. Yes, there's various ways that you can actually gauge as to, you know, where do you need to develop what? And so, so for example, we have psychometric assessments, which would be formal kind of assessments, but then there's also informal assessments um, that we can talk about. So first, the self-report would be something that we call it, we're looking at your identity. It's, it's the you that that you know, then you will, um, and yes, if someone's reality testing is not really in line with what it should be, then maybe an overestimation or an underestimation of skills and abilities is possible. But we also, of course, we use validated and scientifically developed assessments. So we try to in that process of development, we also try to, of course, provide for a, a good assessment that actually pick up on things where people are overestimating or underestimating or putting themselves in a negative light or putting themselves in a positive light. So identity is, um, is, is the self-report. And that would be, you know, a formal assessment could be a, a, an EQ assessment or an informal assessment could just be via an interview, you know, asking some questions. 
But then what is very useful, and um, at JVR we've just been through that process, um, is where we measure one's reputation. So that's where we ask your colleagues and your um, other people that really know you very well and that work closely with you to actually also do an assessment of you. So we've done a formal assessment and that's a 360 assessment. So it's literally, you know, um, looking at the person from all angles and not only your own self-report and um, doing that assessment and asking the questions about this person's performance, this person's skills and what, what you see in this person, because obviously they can all only report on what, what we show them. We, they can only report on our behavior. And if there's a, um, where, the, where it's very useful is if there's a, a, a difference between how someone sees himself or herself, the identity, and the reputation, how other people see yourself, that's actually in, in that difference is the space where development lies. Because then you need to find out why do I regard myself as low or high on this and why do my, my colleagues or other people that I work with, why do they actually see me differently? Fantastic. I mean, I think it just would deliver such a great amount of, of insight. And I, I love the, the full view of an individual. And absolutely, I think a lot of the times we when we're doing self-reporting, we're, we're measuring ourselves on our intentions. And it's so interesting often to see if, if what we're intending is actually being brought through the behaviors or the way other people are perceiving us or engaging with us. And I think that must be incredibly valuable information. Your five-step program that you run at JVR for developing these power skills, do they incorporate some of these assessments or could you tell us a little bit more about uh, the five-step program? Yes. Karen, our motto at JVR Academy is we actually want to partner with organizations and we want to make the lives of L&D and HR in organizations easier and we want to support them in their role. All the programs, regardless of the power skill that we are developing, go through this five-step process. So the first um, step is we do a thorough needs analysis where we, we listen to the client, we um, align our proposal to the company's strategic objectives, um, we need to make sure that the program that we design or that we adjust for them, that it's relevant. So it's really a partnership. That would be the first step. So we don't just jump in and, and do an assessment or do a program. Then the part of the, or the next step would be a pre-assessment. And that's exactly where we can really quantify, sort of get a baseline of, let's, let's take emotional intelligence or resilience. We do a resilience assessment. Also, again, a psychometric assessment that had been validated um, and we do the assessment. And what is very nice about those assessments is it makes the, the, the learning and development program very relevant to the individual. So they have their own individual performance ratings and then throughout the program, they can actually link the, the um, information back to their own development. And they also build their own personal development program based on the assessment results. In the third step, we would have the learning intervention, which is not only just a once-off training session. So for us, it's it's very interactive. It's not training. It's um, uh, we we have expert facilitators that actually go into the classroom and we we facilitate learning there. Group work very important for us. But what we also do is we stretch the learning experience over a longer period of time 
where we blend virtual in-class sessions and we use bite-sized micro-learning, which, which are relevant to the, to the individual as well. And then the fourth step would be taking the learning into the workplace because what you learn needs to be relevant. So the delegates would complete relevant workplace projects and they need to show how they apply these new skills. And an added benefit of that is we often have group projects where people have to work in groups together and then also they come back, they work on their presentation skills because they are present presenting what they have done in the workplace. And very often we or we always invite, but they are not always available, we invite senior management to attend those presentations. And it actually shows them where the money is actually going to as well in terms of the, the budget that they are spending. And then the fifth step would be the data analytics. We, we provide the organization with a summary report of all the data that we've gathered from the start to the end. And then very often we do a post assessment as well. It could be the same um, assessment that we've done in the beginning, or we, we just do a different kind of assessment to see, you know, what was the shift or how the needle had shifted. Um, during this four, five, six month learning program. It sounds fantastic. And I think that, you know, kind of the, the pre and post measurement is becoming increasingly important. And specifically when we're dealing with things that have been previously seen as soft, we, you know, to find a way to measure that, to almost uh, prove that they can be improved, that it's, it's stuff that we can work on, develop and, and build over time is, is an incredible way forward. Thank you for joining me in discussion today, Corinna. I thoroughly enjoyed our, our chat and just being able to discuss and explore these concepts in a lot more detail. For our listeners who may be interested in building these power skills, either for themselves or for their teams, please contact JVR Academy. They have developed a comprehensive five-step program and are able to partner with L&D and HR professionals to create customized learning solutions for developing these critical workplace power skills.